Give yourselves a hand for getting out of bed today. Come on. You're on an hour less of sleep. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you so much for being here. Are we really on an hour less of sleep? Like either you go to bed at the same time or you don't. Like I, I think we just like to complain. So um, that's where I'm going to go right, right, off, right out the gate. Um, thank you again. Uh, we have a, a lot of sayings here. Uh, one of those is we, we didn't want to start a new church, we want to start a new culture. But another saying is that um, you don't have to believe what we believe to belong here. Because sometimes you have to belong before you believe. And um, our goal is ultimately that you would believe Jesus is, is the Lord and, and that he is the one that, that died and rose again so that you could get to heaven and be reconnected with the one that you were made to be connected with. And that's, that's God. But that's, so that's our goal. And we're up front with that right out the gate. But we want you to know that you don't have to believe that to belong here. Right? Because the best thing... For us, we know that, that life is best when we experience it together, when we experience it in community. And so we just want you to find people to belong with here today. So um, as we get started, I want to I, I just, just jump right into this series um, today. It's the second week of our uh, Key to Everything series, and, and I've got a lot of material, so I'm just going to get right into it. Um, I'll tell some jokes along the way, but I got no jokes to begin with. I apologize. I guess that was funny. Um, so the key to everything, we said last week that we all want to be successful. Everyone want, desires success in life. And so one of the things that we said was that in order to achieve success, you have to have one component in your life. And that is the key to everything. And the key to everything is teachability. Being willing to learn and, and a desire to grow, and, and that's, that's the key to everything. So we went on to, dis, to, to discuss how there are two components to teachability that we all must have, and that is, number one, desire, number two, willingness. And so when you look at your desire plus your willingness, you get your level of teachability. I kind of joked about my, my desire to get in shape and my my how we, we talked about how getting in shape and going to the gym, how that's one easy thing that we can come up with our level of teachability on. I talked about how, um, how I have a desire to get in shape. I have a desire to have six-pack abs. Don't we all come on somebody? Like we all want six-pack abs. But, but the problem is we're not willing to do the sit-ups or the, the, the planks or whatever it is that you – do to get those six, I obviously don't know what you do to get those six packs, <laughs> but whatever, we're, we're unwilling to do that, and so I talked about how I'm willing to pay for a gym membership, and an expensive gym membership at that, I didn't tell you how much it costs, but it was, it's expensive, and I'm willing to pay that, but I'm unwilling to get out of bed at 4.30 in the morning so I can get to the gym for my class at 5.15, and so that's kind of where I draw the line, and so we're able to discover how teachable we are by just looking at our desire and our willingness. If you missed that, that, that message, it's available on, on iTunes, Refuge Maine, or on our website, refugemaine.church. Also, um, you received the, the notes as you walked in, or the, the thing to write notes on. Um, but if you want to just see it, uh, those are in the digital form on the YouVersion Bible app. I think you can access that 
through the Wi-Fi, and you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. And if you don't know what that is, come and see me afterwards, and I will show you how to download the most downloaded Bible app on the planet, I believe. So um, it, is, it is an incredible, incredible tool. So, um, so we're talking about teachability this morning, and one of the things that I've learned over the years is that no matter how much I want it and no matter how willing I am, there are still things that get in my way of being teachable when it comes to certain things, and those I like to call roadblocks. And so we're going to talk about the roadblocks to teachability today. So um, if you would, let's, I, I need prayer because there's a lot of material here this morning. So I'm going to pray if that's okay with you. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for every, every person that's in this room. Every person has a name that you know. And every name has, has a story that you are writing. And Lord, I thank you that those stories and our stories are colliding this morning. And I pray that as they collide, that you would make beauty out of it. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we open your word. Lord, uh, help me to uh, speak truth. And uh, just thank you so much for all you do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. So our goal for this whole series is that we would all reach the potential that God has for us. Like we want to be a church that reaches its potential. But um, our goal this morning is simple, that we would identify roadblocks that we all have, roadblocks that you have in particularly, because at the end of the day, if this doesn't apply to you, then I've wasted your time and I don't want to waste your time. So um, we want to identify the roadblocks that you have to your teachability so that you can reach your potential that God has for you. And I say that because as I've studied this message and as I've prepared it, then, you know, I've, I've acknowledged and I'll tell you, this is a roadblock for me. I've, I've acknowledged those things and, and hopefully they help me get to my level of, my ultimate level of teachability so that I can hopefully be successful. And that's what we want for you. So that's our, that's our goal today. Um, there are five roadblocks to teachability, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk about those by looking at a man in the Old Testament uh, book of 1 Samuel, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Um, he was Israel's first king. So um, a little Bible trivia for you this morning. By the way, um, a little bit about me. I hate trivia, like all forms of trivia. I especially hate Bible trivia. I feel like the only guys that like Bible trivia are the ones that want you to know how much they know about the Bible. Um, it's, it's like that with every form of trivia, in my opinion. If someone likes, if, and if you like trivia, um, I'm sorry, but um, I'm just going to bust on you for a minute, if that's okay. Um, but you can bust on me later. So, does anyone say bust on you anymore? I don't know. So, trivia, is, it's funny to me because I feel like the only people that like trivia are the ones that want to show you how much they know about something. So, like, if... If they want, if, if they're good at Bible trivia, they want you to know how, or if they like it, then they want you to know how much they know about the Bible. Like, there are only two forms of trivia that I like. I like sports trivia, because I know more about sports, and I like 90s hip-hop trivia, because I can, I can, I can name a song and tell you what year it was, was, was released in, um, and usually come, my wife and I have this game, we can come within three years of every, every song on the radio if it's in the 90s era, so... 
Um, those are the only two forms of trivia that I like, and, and b- it's because those are, those are uh, the ones that I know the most about, to, to be honest. And so, um, so Bible trivia question real quick, and that is, who was Israel's first king? Israel's first king was a man by the name of King Saul. So if you said King Saul, you got it right. If you said King, if you just went, then you got it right too. So King Saul was Israel's first king, not to be mistaken for the apostle Paul that was previously known as Saul as well. S-A-U-L. King Saul was Israel's first king. And we're going to talk about him uh, today like he's not in the room because he's, there's like, there's like a lot of bad to say about King Saul, but we discover a lot of roadblocks to teachability through this man that was Israel's first king. What happened was the children of Israel, they looked at all these other countries and they, I mean, they were always comparing themselves to other, other countries. And they're, they, as they, they looked at these other countries, they noticed one thing and they, they noticed that everyone else had, had kings and they didn't. And so they just begged God, God, just give us a king. Give us a king. We want a king. And so God just finally said, fine, I'll give you a king. And, and during the time before kings, God would primarily communicate with his people through a man that was known as a prophet. And, and he was a prophet is someone that speaks for God. And so during this time, there was a man by the name of Samuel. He's in our story. Samuel was was, was the prophet that spoke to, king, to, to the children of Israel, and Saul was the king. And, um, and so we're going to learn a lot this morning from King Saul. And, the, and, and right out of the gate, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we notice roadblock number one, and the, road, the first roadblock to teachability is insecurity. Insecurity. The first roadblock to teachability is insecurity. So um, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. It says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? So right away in 1 Samuel 10, 1, Samuel anoints Saul king of Israel. He says, Saul, you are going to be the king. You are going to be the man and you are going to be it. And I don't know about you, but if you're going to be the king, like I'm, I'm tweeting it. I'm like taking my, I'm taking selfies. You know, I'm, I'm like, give me that crown so I can take a selfie. And I'm like posting it on Instagram, hashtag Adam is king. Like it, like I'm, I'm telling everybody that I'm going to be the king, but watch what happens in first Samuel Chapter 10, verse 20 and 22, it says, When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan. And Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, king of Kish, or son of Kish, was taken. But they looked for him, and he was not to be found. Verse 22. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself in the supplies. 
So here is this moment, Saul's very moment, where he is going to be, like, it is a ceremony that is for him. It is a ceremony where he is going to be appointed as the king, and he is left to be found in the janitor's closet with the brooms and the mops, because that's where he wanted to be. And so in this moment of, of, like, of great victory for him, he was found hiding in the supply closet. And from the very beginning of Saul's reign, we see that he struggles with insecurity. Saul's reign was built on his insecurity. And if I can just get real for a minute, this is, this, this is one of my roadblocks. This is one of my, my struggles. I heard a, a pastor that's actually a popular guy in, in New England. He's, he's a pastor in New Hampshire. He said this about insecurity. He said, insecurity is every leader's constant companion. Every leader's constant companion. If you're in leadership, then the fact of the matter is, is insecurity is probably something you struggle with. Because it's always something that you, that you, that you doubt, that you struggle. For me... Um, it's, it's something that I, I, I always wrestle with. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. I don't know if I have what it takes. And so when we talk about insecurity, uh, there's a lot of reasons why we're insecure. For me, I think there's a couple factors for my insecurity. Number one, my, my dad struggled with insecurity. My dad's a pastor. Um, and he, he struggles with insecurity to this very day. Uh, he's an insecure leader. And, and it's nothing against, against my, my dad. I, I love him dearly. But it's something that I've inherited. So our insecurity can, can be inherited. But also our insecurity can be from the voices of our past. Like the voices that we've heard. The voices that have spoken into us. And I've had voices that I've, I've had in my past that have said things to me that, that weren't always true. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But insecurity, my insecurity is, is based on, number one, inherited. It's inherited. Number two, it's, it's on the voices of the past. And when we struggle with insecurity, there are, there are just a few feelings that we have. I think there's, there's four of them that I'm going to give you. Four feelings of insecurity. Number one, the first one is I feel inferior. I feel inferior. You know when I feel inferior the most? When I compare myself to other people. Comparison is a trap of insecurity. And the only time that, that I find myself really struggling with insecurity and inferiority is when I find myself comparing to others, comparing myself to others. This, I, I shared with you a couple weeks ago that uh, Tanya and I recently went down to Birmingham, Alabama to uh, ARC headquarters, and uh, we got the opportunity to coach other church planters that are planting churches because, uh, because of the success that we have seen. Uh, ARC looked at us and they said, would you come and help train other church planters in, in doing what you've done? And Leading up to that trip, I, I kept asking, Adam, are you ready for that? Are you, like, how do you feel? What, like, 
it's such an honor. What, how cool is that? How do you feel about it? And if I'm completely honest, I did not want to answer that question. And the reason I didn't want to answer that question was because the answer to it was I felt inferior. As I looked in the room, when I, wa- when I got in there, I instantly started comparing myself to that guy and that guy and that guy and that coach and that coach and that coach. You know what the thing that I didn't tell myself was? Was that guy's five years down the road. That guy's eight years down the road. That guy's six years down the road. And so oftentimes when we compare ourselves to other people, we're comparing ourselves up against a hill because they're so far further advanced than we are in the area that we compare them to, compare ourselves to them in. And so we find ourselves often feeling inferior based on someone else's advancement. And when we were the youngest church planters there. We've been doing this for one year. And there were five, five and six-year-old churches there. Five and six-year-old churches that are that are just absolutely crushing it with two, three, four hundred people in attendance. Some of them more than that. And so here we are comparing ourselves to people that are further in and in, in, in just feeling inferior to, to them. So when it comes to your teachability, don't find yourself, don't, don't be so insecure that you feel inferior to whoever it is trying to teach you. The second feeling is that I feel like an imposter. I feel like an imposter. Um, so oftentimes, if, especially if we find ourselves stuck in that, that feeling of inferiority, we can find ourselves feeling fake. And that's just an insecure feeling. It's not truth. It's not always truth. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. The third feeling is I feel incapable. I feel incapable. Feeling incapable is the insecure... Feeling incapable is the insecurity that arises when we think that we have what it takes, when we think that we do not have what it takes to accomplish what we believe is expected of us. Let me read that again because I really fumbled all through it. When I studied this, I was like, I'm going to fumble through those words because there's a lot of them there. Again, insecurity, speaking to myself, right? So feeling incapable is the insecurity that arises when we feel like we do not have what it takes to accomplish what we believe is expected of us. And so we feel incapable of doing the task that God has for us. Matt Keller, in the book, The Key to Everything, which is where this series is based on, says this. He says, every time we go after something new in life, every time we go after something new in life, we're going to be tempted to feel this way. We're going to be tempted to feel insecure because insecurity is built into new ventures That's just one of the facts of life. And I think Matt, because he's a church planter, just explained church planting for everyone in this room in a nutshell. Because when you, when you have, I mean, I mean, think about it. If you have a dream in your heart that you want to see accomplished, that you want to see something, that you want to start something new. Maybe if anyone in this room has ever wanted to start a business or ever wanted to start something but you start to instantly think, I can't do that. One of our cultural values at the refuge is that we want to be risk takers and dream chasers, not selling our dreams to remain dreams. 
if we're going to do that, we can't struggle with insecurity because, uh, because of the inferiority complex that we have. Or we can't feel incapable, sorry. The fourth feeling is I feel unworthy. I feel unworthy. I think every person that has ever lived has struggled in some sense of, with some sense of insecurity, inferiority. They feel like an imposter. They feel unworthy. And so the question is, if we, if we have all these feelings, then the question is, what do we do about it? How do we, how do we get over them? How do we get over the, the hurdle? And so I've got just a few strategies to help you overcome this insecurity. I told you there's a lot of information today. So um, you're with me? Like, I don't want to put you to sleep. So uh, we're, we believe in an interactive experience. So um, if I start to feel, feel you getting heavy, then I'll, I'll, I'll just ask you a question and wake you up, tell you a joke, tell you to say something. All right. So um, the, way, the, the three strategies to overcome this, inse- this insecurity, number one, embrace the fact that you have nothing to prove to no one and no one to prove it to. Number one, impra- embrace the fact that you have nothing to prove and no one to prove it to. Can you just feel the weight of your shoulders come off right now? You have nothing that you have to prove to anybody. Like, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. One of the things that we have to say, that we, that we say in, a, in our on-ramp process um, is, is this. We say every, every person is a 10 in some area. You, you have a 10 to offer. You are really good at something, and you don't have to prove it to anybody. So stop trying to prove it. Stop acting like you have to prove yourself to somebody else. The second strategy is know that you are in process. Sorry, that's the third, pro- that's the third strategy. Because um, let me go back to number two. Number two is start believing that you belong where you are. Start believing that you belong where you are. Number three is know that you're in process. Know that you're in process. You're a 10 in some area. You belong there. You're in a process. So roadblock number one is insecurity. Roadblock number two is the roadblock of pride. The roadblock of pride. So let's look at our friend Saul. Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13, specifically verse 7 through 9, and then verse 13 through 14. Um, I'm not going to read those for you because um, we're short on time, but you can look at those um, in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Um, but I just want to share with you what happens here. What happens is, is during the time that, that Saul was king, what would happen was because God gave the children of Israel this prophet that would go before God for them, what, what the king would do is the king would go to the prophet and ask him, what does God have to say about this? Like, what, what does God want me to do in this situation? And so the prophet would then go before God and, and, and uh, perform a burnt offering. He would perform a sacrifice, and he would pray to God. He would ask God for, on behalf of the king what God wanted him to do, and then he would go to the king, and he would tell them what would happen. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 13, what happens is, is Samuel tells, tells Saul, I'm going to be gone for seven days. And when I get back, then I will, I will perform this, this, 
this offering for you, and I will, I will come before you and let you know what God wants you to do. And Saul was asking Samuel if he should attack the Philistine army. The Philistine army is, is the army where this big giant by the name of Goliath came from. He was a Philistine. And so that's, that's happening in this moment. And so what happens is, is Samuel takes, takes seven days to get there, and, and he, was, he kept his word. He waited seven days to get there, and, and what happened was, was Saul and his army got impatient. They got tired of waiting, and so what they did was Saul just said, fine, I'll perform the offering myself, and I'll go before God. <laughs> the only problem was he wasn't qualified. He wasn't the prophet, and so Saul goes before God. He got impatient. And he, and, and he thought to himself, you know what? I'm the king of these people. I can do whatever I want to. I'm going to go before God. And I'm going to do this because I'm the king. So that's what he did. And, they, and, and then uh, they, they, they chose to attack. And in that moment, what we learn about Saul is that he was prideful. He was prideful, he was impatient, right? Two things. But number one, for, for today, looking at roadblocks of teachability, the second roadblock is pride. So what happens when we become prideful is a lot of times we come up with these presumptions that we just, we just presume about ourselves that we can, we can do. And, and, and I want to give you a few presumptions about pride. Number one, the first presumption of pride is that the rules don't ap- apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. Saul didn't think that he had to play by the rules. The second presumption is my position of authority entitles me to do whatever I want to. My position of authority entitles me to do whatever I want to. Ladies and gentlemen, I, as, as your pastor, I stand before you and just say, if I ever, if you ever think that I'm prideful, if you ever think that I think the rules don't apply to me, or if, I, if, if you ever think that I feel like my authority entitles me to do whatever I want, call me out on it. That's why I have, that's why I have overseers. I have, I have guys that I answer to. I answer to my pastor, Pastor Derek Pry at Connect Community Church. That's launching a church service today in Framingham. And we got a couple, listen, we got a couple here from, from Connect that came up here on the day that they're launching a new church in Framingham. Thank you guys so much for being here. We're so glad that you are. So, so. Pastor Derek Fry, he is, he's my pastor. You can call him at any time if you feel like I am doing whatever I want to. Another one is Tim Owens, Pastor Tim Owens. He pastors Mission City Church in Rutland, Vermont. They just launched a church last Sunday. And you wonder why these guys are my overseers, because they're starting churches like crazy. That's why they're my overseers. And, um, and then the other one is, is Pastor Seth Falkell that you met um, from City Hope Church in, in Centralia, Illinois. So I have guys that I answer to to keep me in check. 
because I never want to be seen as being prideful. And so uh, the third presumption, I'm, I'm going to keep moving. Uh, the third presumption is I do not need advice. I do not need advice. Again, this is why I have overseers. Because um, I do need advice. Um, one, of the, one of the key components of teachability is knowing who to receive advice from. Right? And so um, it's one thing to feel like you don't need advice. It's another thing to know who to receive it from. And so, uh, I, that's, again, that's why I have overseers. And the fourth and final presumption of pride is I'm going to go ahead and go with good instead of waiting for best. I'm going to settle for good instead of going for what's best because I am who I am because I'm good enough to be able to settle for good and it's going to be fine because I'm the cheesy bow. I'm the, I'm the, that's, no one says that anymore either. <laughs> I'm, I, I am it. And because of that, I can settle for, for good. The third roadblock to your teachability is fear. 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 So insecurity, pride, and fear. So let's look at our friend Saul once, once again. And this is a story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that you all know. It's a story that we don't have to read because you know it. It's a story of David and Goliath. During the story of David and Goliath, did you realize that, that Saul and his army stood there and stared at Saul for 40 days? And they were terrified. The Bible actually says that Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They had no idea what they were going to do. They were facing this giant, and he was staring at them. And it was for 40 days they stared at him. And so they searched and they searched and they searched for someone that would be willing and that would be brave enough to go out and to fight this man. Because their king wasn't brave enough to fight this man. One of the, one of the things that kings were known, known for during this time was that they were, they were known as the chief warrior. They were the king and they were the chief warrior. They were the one that was like, they were the, the one that would fight the battle. When no one else was willing, the king was the one that was supposed to stand up. And Saul was sitting there cowarding, hiding, because he wasn't willing to. So they had to find this 16-year-old kid that would be willing to go out and do it. A guy that was known for being a shepherd, that was known for watching over sheep and protecting them from wolves and bears. I don't even know if bears are indigenous to Israel, but he was out in the wood, out in the in the fields, taking care of sheep with a slingshot. And so he comes out, and you know the story. He picks up five stones and he puts one in a sling and he slings it and he kills Goliath. All because the king wasn't willing to do his job. And so, when we look at fear, there are five types of fear that I want to talk about. Because all of, again, they, like, this is one of those points where as I was studying it this week and as I'm reading the book, The Key to Everything, I'm like, fear, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not that 
afraid of, of much. And then I started looking at the five types of fear, and I was like, oh. I'll tell you which one that one is in a moment, a little cliffhanger for you. But the first type of fear is the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection. I've been, rejection, uh, I've been rejected long enough in my life that I, I no longer fear this one. <laughs> but uh, the fear of rejection, uh, this always causes us to play it safe. If we're afraid that we're going to be rejected, we're just going to play it safe. Guys, when you were dating your wife or before you dated your wife or guys that are still in the game and you're still dating people, like, if you don't want to be rejected, you're just not going to ask her out. You're going to say to your friend, hey, would you go ask her out for me? <laughs> that way your friend's the one that's rejected and not you. When we know it's you being rejected, you know it's you being rejected, but you're going to play it safe because you're afraid of being rejected. The second type of fear is the fear of losing control. The fear of losing control. And so those of us that struggle with the fear of losing control, because this is one of them, this isn't the one that hit me in between the eyes, but this is one of them that I struggle with. And the fear of losing control oftentimes leads us to micromanaging people and bossing them around and telling them what to do because we feel like we have to control it. Maybe you have a a micromanager boss at, at work, I want you to know this morning that it's not you. It's not you that he has anything against. He's just afraid of losing control. He or she is just losing fear, afraid of losing control of, of a situation. So it's not, it's not about, about you all the time. And so, one, the fear of rejection. Two, the fear of losing control. Three, the fear of criticism. The fear of criticism. This is one of those that, uh, that I think we all struggle with. We, no one likes to be criticized. Of course we're going to get criticized. It's a part of life. But we have to get to the point where we realize that, um, that it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. They can think what they want. You keep being you. Keep doing what you got to do in order to remain teachable. So the fear of rejection, the fear of losing control, the fear of criticism, the fear of change and unknown. The fear of change and unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, the fear of change and unknown has been something that America has struggled with for years. This is the whole reason for the civil rights movement. Because people were, were just, they, they were afraid of change and afraid of what they didn't know. And so that was the whole reason for that. But when we realize that we no longer have to be afraid of that, we no longer have to be afraid of the change, that we can embrace it, that we can embrace each other, and we can embrace mankind, and we can embrace fellow human beings, that we're all the same, no matter what color we are. And we get past it then we can finally be teachable. But the problem with the civil rights movement is so many people weren't willing to change. They might have had a desire. Well, they might not have. And that's sad. But fear of change and unknown has dominated us as human beings. And it's a roadblock for teachability. And the final fear 
that hit me square in between the eyes was the fear of greater responsibility. The fear of greater responsibility. I, like, I'm still getting over this one. I, I'll always be getting over this one. Because I realize that if this church wants to be what I dream it to be, then I'm going to have a lot of responsibility on my shoulders as the leader of the organization. I can't be afraid of that. I can't be afraid of that. And that's why I need you. I need you to help bear the responsibility. We need each other to carry the responsibility together, to carry the vision that God has given us, to see that when Jesus is the refuge for us, that we never have to be overtaken by these storms of our lives these storms that these, that these roadblocks present. So you know how I get over the fear of, resp- of greater responsibility? I realize that greater responsibility is a gift. Greater responsibility is a gift that God is entrusting me with more. So that's how I am getting over my fear of greater responsibility, I'm realizing that it's a gift of blessing. Greater responsibility is a blessing, but it's something that I struggle with. So roadblock number four. Roadblock number four is the roadblock of pain. The roadblock of pain. And this is where I just need to take a time out and realize and, and, and just, just say that I know some of your stories. And I know that those stories include massive amounts of pain. And nothing that I'm going to say over the next five minutes is going to eliminate the pain of your life. That's not what I want to do. What I want you to do, though, is I want you to acknowledge that the pain is there and acknowledge that it might just be something that is keeping you from the success that God has for you the success of reaching your potential. And so that's why we're going to talk about pain. But ladies and gentlemen, pain is a part of the process that we are all on. That's why I know that you've all experienced it. But I've chosen to believe that God has a purpose for my pain in my life that I've experienced. And so I have to figure out how to get over it. And so... Again, as we look at Saul and we look at his story, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 11 through 16, it says this, five verses. Then the king sent for the priest. Uh, um, once again, I, I should have read this 20 times before I got up here. And I did, and I still can't say the right word. So uh, the king sent for the priest Amalek, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were the priests of Nob, and they all came to the king. Verse 12, Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my Lord, he answered. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of, of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies and wait for me as he does today. Verse 14, Amalekek answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David? 
the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant of any of his father's family, or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Amalekite, you and your entire family. Here's what's going on. David goes on, he kills Goliath. And after he kills Goliath, David is hoisted up on, on, king of, uh, on the children of Israel's shoulders. And, and they, they, they carry him into town and they're yelling, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. And so Saul is hearing all of this, and he's feeling, once again, feeling inferior. And so that is the first source of his pain. He realizes that David is going to be the king, that David is the one that's chosen to carry on the children of Israel. And, and so, so then, to make things worse... David, this strapping young 16, 15, 16, 17-year-old kid that is a war hero. Ladies, 15, 16 years old, you know a war hero that is your age, and you are, wow. Like, you are, like, all, like, like mushy and, and just, like, like, you feel about Tom Brady in New England. Like, like, like... All the women want him, all the men want to be him kind of thing, right? Like, like David was that guy. And so what happened was Saul had this daughter named Michael, and Michael falls in love with this war hero, and Michael, the king's daughter, marries the guy that's going to be the king next. And so the dad now sees that not only has his entire nation turned their back on him, but his own daughter has turned her back on him as well. And so he feels that rejection and he feels that, that pain inside of him. And he goes on to see that the children of Israel are responding to David more than they're responding to him. About three or four weeks ago, uh, I started receiving uh, some executive level coaching from a, a friend of mine from, from high school. I talked about him a little bit last week. And um, I mentioned that in our first session, in, in talking about, about leadership with him, we, we talked about how... Um, High-performing teams operate by forming agreements. And as I think about, about this, this roadblock of, of pain, and I think about the executive-level coaching that I'm receiving from my friend Adrian, who talks about how um, high-performing teams operate by forming agreements, one of the things that God used that, that coaching call to teach me was, was that, um, that I had some pain in my heart from previous people that I worked for that affected the way that I lead. And so 
as we talked about high-performing teams operate by forming agreements, I realized that there are agreements that we form at the refuge to be on our dream team, to, to, to be a, a high-performing team. There are agreements that, that, we, that we set out there that as the leader of those agreements, I've, I realized that I was soft. I realized that I wasn't micro, micromanaging those, those agreements or I wasn't even managing those agreements the way that I should. Because when I talked to, to my coach, what I realized was that I had worked for micromanagers in the past that made me feel like I absolutely, like he held my nose to the agreement and he, he made sure that I was obeying that agreement. And, and I, just, I just felt absolutely controlled by it. And because of that, that pain from, from his leadership caused me to be soft. And I realized in that moment that if I'm going to be teachable, that I have to remove that pain from my past, and I have to understand that agreements are agreements. And sometimes the agreement is just that you're not going to have an agreement. Like, but we have to have an agreement if we're going to, if we're going to be high performing, if we're going to see people come to know Jesus and like the way that we want to, then we have to get, get real about those agreements. And I know that, that pain so oftentimes causes us to, to act a certain way and causes us to, to do certain things. And so there are, there, are, there are four things that we can do to manage our pain. Number one, we have to first acknowledge it when we see it. We have to acknowledge it when we see it. I'm going to go kind of fast on these. Number two, we have to um, deal with it if we can. Deal with it right away if we can. Sorry. The sooner you can deal with the pain, the better. The sooner you can take a Tylenol for that pain, the sooner the pain will go away. Right? The sooner we can deal with the pain the better. Deal with it right away. Number three, slow down and dig down to that first pain. Slow down and dig down to that first level of pain. And so, um, so this is where I, I realized that when, when, I, when I think about my, my leadership style and I think about all the leaders that I've worked for in the past, I realized that some of them have caused some pain. And so what I have to do now is, number four, I have to retrain my brain. So let me go through those real quick one more time. Number one, acknowledge the pain when you see it. Number two, if you can deal with the pain right away, do it. Number three, slow down and get to the first level of pain. Number four, retrain your brain. All of these notes are, are on you version. So if you're like, I can't write fast enough, then um, those notes will be up for the rest of the day. You can go home and go to Bible.com, go into the events portion, and you can download those notes and you can keep them for as long as you want. But what happens when we have pain in our lives is we have to get to the point where we're retraining the grooves in our brain. And the way that we retrain those grooves in our brain is by forming new habits. We have to speak truth 
where lies have been told. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I guarantee you that a lot of times when you go back to that first point of pain in your life, when you go back to that, when you dig deep down inside, it's probably based on a lie. It's probably based on a lie that was told about you. And so when I think about about that that leader, that, that micromanaging leader that I really did my best not to be like, that I didn't want to form any agreements because of, I think back to our very first meeting where he really just, just, just really abused me. And what, what was said was it, was, it was the first evaluation for the first year. And what he said was, he looked at me and he said, he said, Adam, when I look at you and I look at the student ministry, I really can't even tell that you've been to college. I can't even tell that you've been trained. Later on, he said, every idea that you've ever had in our student ministry has been an idea that I gave you. What he didn't tell me was that every idea that I had for him and I gave to him, he would say no to. So yeah, the only ideas that I would perform were the ones that he gave me. But those, those lies caused me to believe that I wasn't good at my job that I'm not a good pastor, that I'm not able to do what God has planned for me. I know because of God's word that God knows the plans that he has for me and they're plans to, to, to prosper. And so you have to retrain your brain by speaking truth over and over and over again. Speak truth over your life. Finally, the, the last roadblock is the roadblock of pace. The roadblock of pace. And this is where we get to my favorite story about Saul. What happened. And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 2. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of, of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able men from Israel and he set out to look for David and his men near the, the kegs of the wild goats. And so this is my favorite Saul story. What happens is Saul returns from fighting the battle of Philistine and he gets home and he's told David is out there. David is out there. If you really want to kill him, go out and kill him because that pain that he had for David based on David like, it caused him to want to do everything that he could to kill David. And so he comes back from war when he should have been resting. And what he does is he goes out immediately to try and find David. And he's, and he's hustling so much, trying to find David, trying to find David. Got to find David. Got to find David. And he finally gets to this cave. And he, the Bible says, <laughs> this is my favorite part, that Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. Now, this is every junior high boy's favorite Bible story because if you just put two and two together, you realize that boys don't go in a cave to relieve themselves if they have to go pee. They only go to the cave if they have to poop. So Saul goes into the cave to poop. That's why it's one of my favorite stories. It's every junior high boy's favorite story. And what happens 
is David is hiding in the cave, and Saul doesn't realize it. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Saul doesn't realize that, that David is in there. And as Saul is doing his business, David comes up behind him. And David could kill him. David could kill the king while he was doing his business. That's a bad way to go. But what does David do? He cuts off a piece of his cloak and he saves Saul. Let Saul finish. Because Saul's taking his time. You know he is because he's a dude. He walks out of the cave and David comes out behind him and he says, Hey, Saul, got a piece of your cloak. I could have killed you. But you are the king. And I will honor you because you're my king. That's why I didn't kill you. You see, Saul got so busy and so wrapped up with the pace that he could, that, that, that all he could do was think about killing David. And so, his pace almost killed him. Saul's pace almost killed him. Some of you just need to slow down. So three really quick things to control the pace in your life. Number one, turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah, that's right. Turn it off. You know what I'm talking about. Your cell phone, your calendar. Take a break. Turn it off. I know it's hard. It's hard to, to turn off your cell phone. One of the hardest things that my wife and I do when we go on a date is we leave the phone in the car. The kids, they can get a hold of you. They'll, they'll get a hold of you. You tell them where you're going. Let them know what restaurant you're going to be at. They can call you. The babysitter can call you. Just cut it, turn it off. Turn it off. The second thing is cut stuff. Cut some stuff out of your schedule. This past fall, I went to a conference called Relate. Uh, at, at Lifesong Church in Sutton, Massachusetts. And uh, the founder of Relate, his name is Randy Bizet, he pastors Bayside Community Church in, in Florida. Randy was speaking, and at, at the end of his, of his talk, I, I walked up to him and I said, Pastor Randy, I'm Adam, I met you last year. We started that church that I told you we were going to start. And he asked me how things were going and asked me how it was. And I was like, we're, we're doing great. You know, we, we launched well. We, we had a big turnout. He said, Adam, how are you doing? And I just kind of took a step back, like, whoa, you're not supposed to ask me that. And then he asked me another question. He said, Adam, what do you need right now? And in that moment, my emotions overwhelmed me, and I just started bawling. And this guy pastors a church of two, two, uh, 20,000 plus. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a, a big leader, especially in, in the art circles, and I'm just embarrassed as all get out. And I'm just crying. I'm just like, I just need some rest, man. I finally got it out, and he said, Adam, then get some rest. And after that conversation, I realized, this is about seven months into starting the church, and I realized I didn't have a day off. I didn't have a, an established day off every week. And so I realized, I, I went home from that conference. I said, Tanya, we're going to take Mondays off from now on. 
Monday is it because I realize if we wait till Friday, we're going to have stuff that has to be done for Sunday. So we're going to take Mondays off starting tomorrow or starting next week. And so Mondays are our day off because I, I realize I, I, have to cut, I have to cut that day out of my life, out of, out of my, my work schedule. If I'm going to get the rest that I need, if you're going to be teachable, you have to cut some stuff out of your schedule. And finally, the last thing that I have to say to you today is this. You have to stop taking yourself so seriously. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Relax. The world doesn't rise and fall on you. Relax. Take a breath and realize that when you're teachable, that you will open yourself up to so much more. So much more. Now, as I, as I think about this, this message and I think about how it relates to my relationship with Jesus, to your relationship with Jesus, here's what I realize. I realize that when we talk about teachability, we talk about desire and willingness. And when I put those two things into a relationship with Jesus context, what I realize is that some of you here today don't have a desire to get closer to God, one, or you don't have a willingness to do what you need to do to get closer to God, too. And so, really, we all have a teachability when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. The fact of the matter is, is that no one, no one matches the desire to have a relationship with you like, like Jesus' desire to have a relationship with you. No one matches the willingness to, to give up anything to have a relationship with you like Jesus does. God wants to have a relationship with you so much that he sent his only son, the only son that he had to die on a cross, to be buried, to rise again, to come back to life so that you can have a relationship with him. And I realize that there are people in this room that for years and years have never been teachable when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's because of your insecurity. Maybe it's because you've just experienced too much pain in your life to come to know Jesus. And, and, and if God loved you, then how could he cause that pain in your life? And so that pain has gotten in your way of knowing a God that loves you. Because you blame him for it. Maybe it's because you're you're too proud. Maybe it's because maybe it's because you you grew up a certain religion, and you're just you're just holding on to that religion because of what what it's your heritage, because it's what your family believes. Ladies and gentlemen, your family's belief aren't going to save. Maybe it's because you're just too busy for church. Maybe it's because you have to run the kids to different places. Maybe it's because you just you just don't have time for it. The roadblocks to teachability are the same exact roadblocks that can keep you 
from embracing a God that has done everything that he can to embrace you. So let's take just a moment and reflect on what God has done for you. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would you bow your heads just in the solitude of the moment? Bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around. We're, we're, we're done. But we're going to pray. And I want to give you an opportunity to say, Pastor, I've allowed the roadblock of insecurity. I've allowed the roadblock of pain. I've allowed the roadblock of pride. I've allowed the roadblock of fear, the roadblock of hate, whichever one it is. You've allowed that roadblock to get in your way of knowing Jesus. Now's your moment. Now's your moment. By a show of hands, just by a brief moment of bravery. Would you raise your hand and say, Adam, I've allowed roadblocks to keep me from coming to know Jesus. And I know that I need to know him today. Is there anyone like that? Anyone at all? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Pastor Adam, I know that there are things. I see that hand. Thank you very much. Things that have kept me from embracing Jesus. If you raise your hand, I want to ask you to do two things. One, I want you to say this prayer with me that I will pray in just a moment. And two, I want you to tell somebody on your way out. We make that easy for you. You can do that by filling out a card and on the back of it, making the writing, uh, checking the box that says, that I'm embracing Jesus for the first time. Or you can just tell me on your way out, Pastor, I said that prayer today. We make it as easy as possible. So if you raise your hand and you want to make that decision this morning, just pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I know I've done wrong. And I know that because of the things in my life, whatever this roadblock is for you, you say it. Because of this, I haven't been able to fully embrace you. So God, in this moment, I want you to know that I believe Jesus was your son, that he died for me, and that he came back to life so that I can have a relationship with you. So God, I give you my life right now. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and give God a hand today for what he has done? Thank you guys so much for being here. We're going to sing one more song and you'll be dismissed.